You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Hi everyone, we're so glad you decided to join us today. My name is Jenny Warns, and I'm the Discipleship Director at the Birmingham campus. If you've been with us recently, you may have heard that groups of all kinds are getting ready to launch. It's so important for all of us to be in community and not do life alone, now more than ever. So let's stop talking to ourselves and talk to some friends over Zoom, okay? You can even stay in your favorite comfy pants because most groups are meeting online. Consider this your personal invitation to get connected or reconnected here. We have community groups, Bible studies for men and women, courses like Alpha, Bible Basics, and the Marriage Course. We also have care workshops to support you as you work through pain and recovery. Now, Justin and I, we've been meeting with our groups over the past year, and it has been such a needed outlet while we're stuck within the four walls of our crazy home, trying to work, chase a toddler around while we run school for our other three kids. Go to kensingtonchurch.org groups for more details. Now, speaking of kids, boys specifically, we have another online event that I'm really excited about, and I want to invite you to. It's a continuation of our Faith and Family series called Raising Godly Boys. Our Kensington Kids staff has invited experts and families within our community to discuss together how to raise our boys into men of God and eliminate the odors coming from their rooms. Just kidding. We're going to take a look at how boys are uniquely wired, how parents can build strong bonds with them as they grow into teens, and how we can build them up to be grounded, healthy, and confident. We have a great panel lined up for this evening. Mike McCormick, author of Man Quest, Leading Teenage Boys into Manhood, will be sharing alongside his wife, Christy, how we can bring sons and parents together on a life-changing spiritual quest. Dr. Jennifer Salerno, author of Teen Speak, is an internationally recognized expert on preventing and reducing youth risk behaviors. With more than 20 years of experience as a nurse practitioner and as a mom of two herself, Dr. Jen understands teens and their families. Parents of two boys, Devanyu and Liz Banks, have been part of Kensington for more than 20 years, with Devanyu serving on our elder board. A family full of adventure and a love for sports, the Banks will be bringing wisdom, spiritual truth, laughs, and their experience shepherding their sons to be men of God. Now, personally, I love opportunities like this to learn together. Our son, JJ, he's only two right now, but I'm always looking to learn from the wisdom of parents in the next phase. So join us for this free online event on January 31st at 8.30 p.m. Go to kensingtonchurch.org slash faithandfamily to register. Invite some friends, and we'll see you on the 31st. And now, back to service. We're in the fourth week of our series, The Last Arrow. We're talking about being battle-ready, and I'm excited to see what God has for all of us today. Well, good morning. How are you doing? Do I look different? Oh, well, that too, but uh, I have superpowers because I got my first vaccine on Friday and three weeks later I get my second one. And I know some of you are undecided about the vaccine, but I'm just not taking any chances. So I'm halfway there and excited that the promise that things are going to get better this year. I just really believe that in 2021 we'll get somewhat back to normal. And actually, we're getting a few more people every week coming into the auditorium, and uh, that, that just uh, gives us a lot of energy and hope for the future as well. So we're glad you're here today in this room, and we're also glad that you've joined us online uh, today. And I just have a few announcements to share with you. The first one is that we're finding ourselves right now in need of some extra volunteers. 
in two specific areas. The first one is we need greeters. Can anyone guess what the job description is for that? <laughs> one word, greet, and hopefully with a smile and some warmth. So we really encourage you, if, you got, if you'd like to do that, if that's kind of your natural bent, uh, we could really uh, benefit from having you on our team. So I encourage you to do that today. You can go to the hub in the, in the auditorium, uh, in the lobby rather, after the service is over, and you can sign up to be a greeter. Um, the second thing that we need is we need some camera operators. And so we need someone like Larry here who was trained to do this. Larry, come in a little closer, a little closer. No, that's far enough, right there. That's good. Okay. But, but Larry is one of <laughs> No, they're going to get people dizzy now. Um, see, we're going to have to fire Larry now, so we need someone to take his camera. Um, but, uh, but actually, and there's Larry, and you know, um, yeah, wave to Larry. Everybody wave to Larry. And uh, actually, I want you to save your applause because, first of all, I, the team, the video team and the production team in the back, I don't know if you know this, but there's a room back here that right now has probably six or seven women and men who are making this thing happen, both for our, our screens here, but also for streaming, which has become so much more important. And they make this happen every week. And these are mostly volunteers. And so we need people to join this team. And actually, because they're all listening right now, let's put our hands together and thank them for their great work. <clears throat> um, that, that team, you know, one of the leaders back there on staff is Eric. Eric does such a great job. But Eric is the one that's having trouble getting people every week to operate the camera. So we provide all the training. You don't have to bring any experience. And we're usually running four, and, and then we have a, one on stage, so four or five cameras for every service. So if you're inclined, please also go to the Hub, and if you're watching online, there's a way to go online and volunteer at our website to sign up, and we'd just love to have you join our team. Um, if you are a first-time visitor, by the way, uh, here in the room, we're so glad you're here, and we would encourage you after as well to go to the Hub. At the Hub is where everything in the lobby happens, and just uh, introduce yourself and if you have any questions, these are people that even though you can't see their smiles, they're smiling, and they have orange shirts on, and they're there just to help you and direct you if you have any questions or just want more information about the church. And if you are watching online today, we would encourage you to go online. There's so much to learn about who we are there, and we look forward to the day when you can join us actually here in the auditorium. Well, I have only one more announcement, um, and that is the Warming Center. And on the west wall of the lobby for the last few weeks has been a place where you can sign up. The Warming Center is um, an opportunity to serve our neighbors in our area who are in trouble. They're homeless, and normally during this week, uh, one, uh, one week in the winter, we would host them here for a week, and they would sleep here overnight, and we'd provide the meals. But because of COVID, they're actually staying in a hotel. And I, I understand there's about 130 or 40 women in MAD who are currently homeless who are in this hotel. And from February 7th to the 14th, we're providing the meals, we're providing toiletries, and just we're providing love for them. So... If you haven't done it yet, um, we're, we're filling all the spots, but we still have some open. I checked after the last service. Just make your way to the West Wall there in the lobby and sign up to bring some supplies in that we can then share with our neighbors who are, who are in great need and show love to them. So, so we're, um, we're in week four of our series, The Last Arrow, and author Erwin McManus, who wrote a book called The Last Arrow, uh, has this to say in the preface to his book. <clears throat> he says, my intention for this book is that you would never surrender that you would never settle, that you would save nothing for the next life. And then here's his wish for us. He says, may you die with your quivers empty, meaning that you didn't leave any arrows in the quiver. You shot them all, even the last arrow. And may you die with your heart full. And I would really say that that's, that's the prayer for my life, 
that I want to spend every last arrow making my life count with purpose and intentionality, and I want, to live, I want to live this life with my heart totally full of the joy that God can give to us when we live that way. So before we jump into the new topic today, let's just take a moment to review. Some of you, this is your first week, so you've missed what we've done so far. This is week four, and some of you, like me, your memory's not all that great, so we're just going to take a few minutes to review. So the first week, we looked basically at the wake-up call, and I love this week. Steve Andrews was here with us, did a great job of just inspiring us to live your life to the full, to discover what God has for you. And we anchored it in this exhortation from Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul writes, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And it's just a reminder that it's easy for all of us to live life on autopilot. You know, you just kind of go through the motions and you're turning the pages of the calendar and, and you're not really spending your life with intentionality. So that was the first exhortation. Let's live intentionally, mindful of what life is about. The second week was find your people. And the scripture, um, some of the scripture we looked at talked about we are a, to be a one another community. This verse in Hebrews sums it up. He says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened, hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Uh, we have to have each other. We have to have people that are like-minded, people that want the same thing, people that will pick us up when we stumble and fall, and people that we are willing to pick up when they stumble or fall, that life is meant to do to get, be done together. Uh, we had a baptism um, in the pool yesterday, and next Sunday we're going to share it here in the auditorium, the video of it. It was absolutely extraordinary. But in all of the 17 people that I baptized in the pool, one of the things I said to them was, you know, I asked them, is, is it your intention to follow Jesus all the days that you live? And they said, yes. And then I said, so just so you know, you can't do it without him and without each other. That we were meant to do life together. So that was week two. And then last week, Shauna shared with us about choosing your future and saying goodbye to the past. And she actually, I was not here, but I was watching online and she actually climbed into the trunk here. Shauna, I'm glad you didn't stay in the trunk, that you came out of it. But it's a reminder that that we need to set our focus on the possibilities that God has for us and, and let the stuff behind go because the past can weigh us down from the life God has for us. And so that's the foundation we built the last three weeks. And now today, we're going to talk about something called being battle ready. We're going to talk about battle readiness today. Uh, but before we jump into that, uh, we're going to take a moment right now to receive our offering. And every week that I do this, I say the same thing and I don't grow tired of saying it. I just want to thank all of you who are partners with us. Because we have staff and we have professionals that do this, but God raises up a community of men and women who all walks of life and all economic situations to be partners and investors with us. And so everything that we do happens because you give generously and you volunteer. And so thank you so much. And if you're here, you can give on your way out. We have some buckets in the back. And if you're watching online or even here, you can go to, your, um, to our website or text on your phone or mail a check-in. So again, just thank you so much for being all in with us. Well, as I think about this series, The Last Arrow, and, you know, at, at my age, I realize that I've spent more years than I have left by far. But I want to make the years I have left count. And I really, if I'm honest, I want it to count every single day. And I want it to count every single moment of the day. But how successful do you think I am at that? Like every day, every moment of the day. It's what I want, it's what I desire, and I think for many of you, I want to say for all of you, that's what you desire as well, and yet we find out that it's, it's sometimes more difficult than we think it will be, that our minds wander, our intentions wander, we run into obstacles that stand in our way, and sometimes it feels 
really, God, can I do this? You know, I, I reviewed this last week, and I can see so many failures in my life that I wish I could do over. And so it would be easier to say, actually, you know what? I think I'm going to settle. I think I'm going to surrender. I'm, I think I'll just take whatever life throws at me. But we don't want that. So can we keep going? How do we keep going? Can we really keep climbing what feels like a mountain that will never reach the top? I'm 
So today's message is really about how do we keep our faith when it's difficult, when it feels like the climb just goes on and on and on and on and there's no end to it. You know, I think one, you know, over the years, um, I've been trying to follow Jesus for a lot of years now, and over the years, one of the uh, expressions we would use to talk about our Christian life would be to talk about our walk. Like we would ask each other, how's your walk this week? You know, how's the walk going? And I think that's a little bit unfortunate because the Bible never uses walk as a metaphor. When, it, when you read the word walk, for example, in Ephesians where it says, uh, be careful how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, the word walk there actually in the original language means the conduct of your life. It's like your whole life. So it's not a metaphor. The metaphors that are used in scripture for life, for the spiritual life, for our relationship with God, the metaphors are of athletes. So think about the training, the discipline, the time they put in to really be good in their sport. Um, Farmers are used as a metaphor because the farmers get up early before the sun comes up and they work so hard and they work till sunset and they have to wait patiently for the crop to come, right? So that's a metaphor. And then the third one is soldiers, which is the one we're going to use today. A soldier, think about all the, the boot camp and all the training and the readiness and the ongoing physicality of all of that, mental and, and physical. So those are metaphors for what life is like. And if we don't expect that, if we think it's a walk in the park, it's just out for a stroll, we're not going to make it to where we want to go. The life that we're talking about in this series, you know, the, the, the life that God has called us to and sees for us and has promised to us doesn't come by just walking around. It comes with intentionality. And so today we're going to look at what we're calling battle ready. And I want to share with you one of the most well-known promises of Jesus. In Kensington, when I was here before for a number of years, we, we found a way to get this verse up on the screen all the time. It's one of our favorites. It's a promise from John 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, said this. He shared this. He encouraged us with this promise. He says that I came that they may have life and have it to the full. The version that I first learned it in used the word abundant. I came that you would have abundant life. And so that's the promise. God's vision for each of us. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about Jesus thinking about you personally and individually when he stated this. With your name, your life and mine, he says, I have a vision for your life. He can see your life. He can see the abundance. He can see the fullness. That That's what he came to offer us. And it's an important thing to dwell on for a bit because we tend to think sometimes about religion, even Christianity, that it's mostly about preparing for you to die. You know, we call that the good news, that your sins are forgiven when you die, you're with God forever, which is true, and it's really good news. But that's not what he's talking about in this verse. He's saying that I came that you would have a full life now, a life of fullness now. That's his vision. Now, if that's all that we had to talk about, that would be awesome. But there's another promise that precedes these words, and actually it's the same verse. That's only part two of verse 10 in John 10. I want you to see the first part now, because that's what we're going to talk about today. So Jesus said that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you would have life to the full. So put those two things together, and what you understand is that life is lived in the context of a battle. There is a thief who has an agenda. Just like Jesus has an agenda for your life, there's a thief who has an agenda for your life, and it's about stealing and killing and destroying. 
Now, I just want to tell you, we're, get, we're early in the message. This is not a message about fear, cowering, dodging, you know, crawling under the bed. This is a life about, this is a message about living victoriously, but we have to understand, and this is the key idea here, is that the life that God has for us will be opposed. There will be opposition. We should expect it. And that's why the analogies or metaphors of a farmer and an athlete and a soldier are good because everything that those people want in those groups, they have to work hard against opposition. The farmer has to work against the weeds that want to grow up in the crops and the weather that he can't control or she can't control. It's, it's, that's life. The soldier has an enemy literally that's trying to kill them if they're actually in battle. The athlete is, work, is working against the desire to just sit on the couch, watch the playoffs this weekend, eat a bag of chips and drink some soda, right? But you have to fight that. So there's opposition. Anything that we want in life that is good, there will be opposition to it. There will be another path to take. So Jesus reminds us in John 10.10 that there is something or someone called the thief that comes to destroy. Now, I personally believe that the thief is not just the devil or Satan. We're going to talk about that mostly today. But the thief is anything that detours us or distracts us or draws us away from the purposes of God. And there's at least three of them. We're just going to mention this real quickly. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, you will see all three. So Paul writing this says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. That's the first one. There's the ways of the world. All right? And then he said, And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's Satan. And then finally, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh, following its desires and thoughts. So I think there are three thieves in this passage that we have to be aware of, and we call them often the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is a world order, because the world is not bad, the earth is not bad, but there's a world order system that has a contrary set of values to the values that God has given to us. It's about myself, it's about greed, it's getting everything I can, it's about pursuit of pleasure, it's about consumerism, it's all that. That's the world. And that will always tempt us away from the pathway that God has for us, the abundant life that Jesus promised. That's the first thief. The second one, the flesh, is just our inclination to make bad decisions. Anybody besides me this week make a bad decision? It was self-serving. It wasn't out of kindness or love or whatever. I mean, I made too many of them to keep track of. That's in me, and I understand that. And that's the thief. Every time I give in to that, it steals from me. It destroys a part of me. It kills a part of me. And then there's the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. We're going to talk about this last thief today. And so I want to just um, say a word for the skeptics that might be here in this room or watching online. Because, you know, the devil is kind of like characterized as a red suit and a pitchfork and made fun of. And is it the boogeyman? And is this thing even real? And, and it feels difficult sometimes in this day and age with all of our understanding that there could really be this person called the devil. And he goes by a lot of names. We're going to actually unpack that in a little bit, different names that he's called. So for those that are skeptical, I want to tell you that it's okay to be skeptical. I'm going to ask you just to open up your heart a little bit, just maybe suspend judgment for the next 20 minutes or so as we talk about this and as we press into this. And Maybe one thing that would help any that are skeptical is uh, something that I fascinated me a number of years ago. Um, one of the, my favorite books that I read during that time period was by M. Scott Peck. Uh, he's a psychiatrist. He wrote a book called the, the Road Less Traveled, and it was on the New York Times bestseller list for like years. It's an incredible book. I re highly recommend it. It's not a Christian book, but it's a, very, a bo book with a lot of truth. It was very helpful for me, M. Scott Peck. Well, after this success, he 
got a project to write a second book. And the book he published is called People of the Lie. And he's a, he's a psychiatrist, a scientist in his mind. He's not a Christian, not a person of faith. But the book was about trying to understand evil in the world. And so he did research and he interviewed people and he, he pressed into all aspects of culture and society trying to understand evil. And he began the book believing that we don't need supernatural explanations for evil. We don't need the devil, Satan, that he would discover the root of evil in some other uh, arena. But as he did research over a period of years and to write this book, uh, he came to a different conclusion that surprised him. And to me, the most powerful two sentences in this book are these. He said, I now believe the devil exists, period. I've met him. In his research, he came face to face with evil that his scientific mind could not explain. And to understand that all of human history has been full of, the common theme is evil, suffering, the things that we do to each other, we do to people. He couldn't account for that in the natural world, in his, in his beliefs. And so he actually came to faith and he actually got converted to Christianity during writing, as he wrote this book and actually placed his faith in Jesus and became a very unashamed follower of Christ in this. So for those of you that are skeptical, here's a skeptical man, scientific mind, who when he really pressed into it, he had to change his conclusion about it. And so if that's you, I hope I can help you along that journey a little bit today because I think nothing else explains our history in the world today except that there is something in the spiritual realm before us, a person that is, is behind a lot of what happens. Now, I'm not a one that believes the devil's under every rock and every bad thing. I think that's a mistake to think that way. I think it's a mistake to think that he doesn't exist at all. So we're going to try to find that balance today. So I'm going to share just four words with you. I think you can remember these because this is about uh, being prepared and knowing what to do about the spiritual battle that we have, the opposition that we face. So the first two words are words that you've probably never used before together. In fact, you may not even know what the first word means. It's to gird yourself. To gird yourself. Anybody know what that means? A couple hands? No hands. Okay, good. So I get to tell you something you don't know today. So um, I grew up with the King James Version Bible in my church. Anybody else read that growing up? King James Version? It's good that we have newer translations because the language in 1611 was not the English that we use today. So they needed to make a change. So we normally use a, a version like the NIV. So I want to share with you 1 Peter 1.13 from the New International Version. And then I'm going to show you what it says in the King James. And that's where we'll encounter the word gird, G-A-R-D. So in, in the NIV, the verse that we're going to look at says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. So when we think about the opposition we're going to face, he's exhorting us, Peter is exhorting us to prepare your minds for action. Be mentally prepared, be focused, be aware be mindful of what's going on in the spiritual realm. But I love the way the King James says it because this is a literal translation and it, it really informs us that there is truly a battle going on here. And this is what uh, Peter wrote, King James. He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind for action. Gird up the loins of your mind? You can see why they, we needed a more modern translation, right? What is he talking about? Well, back then, this is a battle term. This is military terminology that he's using here. So he's thinking battle. When Peter wrote this, he's thinking battle. And so the, the soldiers of that day would wear robes that would go all the way down to their ankles. And it's not really very conducive if you're going to go into battle to have a robe that goes down to your ankles. 
because you can't move very quickly. You can't be very nimble. You can't run toward the enemy or run away from the enemy if you need to do that. So what they would do when it got time for the battle, the commander would say, soldiers, gird up for battle. And they would pull it all the way up because loins are this midsection. They would pull it all the way up here. And it was a girdle or a belt is how we would translate it today. And they would use a belt to cinch it up. So you, do you have a mental image of that? Going from this encumbered, I got a robe here. I've never worn a dress, so I don't know what that feels like. But imagine wearing a dress and trying to run and fight, right? So they would gird it up for battle. So think about Peter now saying, taking that idea and saying, do that mentally in your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind for action. So I want to encourage you to actually take this King James type language and bring it into your modern vocabulary and really impress people. So if you're a person that has a quiet time in the morning, you know, where you spend time with God, you get your Bible out, you have your journal maybe, you got your cup of coffee, and you're preparing for your day, and someone says, what, what are you doing? You say, well, I'm glad you asked. I'm girding up the loins of my mind today. <laughs> Instead of calling it devotions or quiet time that we have every day, spending time alone with God, no, I don't do that. What I actually do is I gird up the loins of my mind for the day. So I'm kind of having, having some fun with this, but I'm being serious in the sense of, this is the seriousness of what we do. This is the equipping that starts with mental equipping, that our minds get prepared. And part of that preparation is what we expect. What do you expect to happen on a given day? What are you ready for? Um, and so that's why I like the analogy that's used in Scripture of a battle. Because the battle that we face is really like a soldier faces. And this verse in 2 Timothy uh, where in this same passage, he talks about the farmer and the athlete and the soldier. Here's what he says about a soldier. He says, join me in suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. And what they're simply saying is you can't, if you're a soldier in battle, you can't forget for a moment that you're a soldier. If you think you're just a civilian, you're, you're not going to make it one minute. I mean, imagine someone that's in a foxhole on the front line overnight and then the morning comes, he looks up and, and he or she realizes that the sun is out, it's time for morning coffee. And so they forget they're a soldier, they're a civilian in their mind, and they come out of the foxhole and they're stretching, yawning, oh, new day, and they start walking out, where's that cup of coffee? And I just put a big bullseye right here on me, right? So that's, that's the imagery that God has given us to say, prepare every day, prepare Live in such a level of, I would say, vigilance that there is opposition that will come. So live with expectation that keeps us prepared. Um, I learned this in New York City the hard way. When I, when I moved there in 2008, I didn't really want to go, but God called us to go, and so I went, and then eventually I wanted to go. I was glad I was there, but at first it was tough. And I'm, I was raised in the Midwest. I lived almost all my life in Michigan. 50-some years at that time, it's like, really, I'm going to go to the New York City? And I have to confess to you that everything that I knew about New York City, I learned from television movies. So I went with a lot of fear. I mean, I seriously, um, like, I didn't want to go in the subways. You know why? Because you never come out. <laughs> you just go there to die. Uh, I didn't want to go into Central Park. You know why? Because you never come out. So I walked everywhere for a while, and I just went there with this fear. I was just expecting bad things to happen, like you see in every TV show set in New York. Blue bloods, right? I mean, just, it's just crime all the time. 
at every turn, this is what's going to happen. So after a while, I realized that wasn't the case. And actually, the city got a lot friendlier than I thought it would be. And, and I, I began to enjoy the energy of it. And you know, so 10 years into this, nothing bad has happened to me. And so I would say my guard was definitely down, just not even ever thinking about it. So in uh, two years ago, it'd be two years this, uh, this coming July, um, I, in the middle of the day, I was at Walker and Broadway Street. I got a cup of Starbucks. It was a hot 90-some degree day, so I got a Frappuccino, cold drink, got it in my hand. I have my backpack on. I'm walking back to my office in lower Manhattan. And, um, and I, I should mention that I had had a back injury the year before. I had three herniated discs, and so I was mostly back, but not entirely. So I'm, I'm an older guy walking kind of stiffly with a backpack on. As I crossed the street, I saw three guys in the corner that just looked a little suspicious, but... I only gave it one thought, like they were just loitering there and two of the guys didn't have shirts on, which is unusual in New York City. So it caught my eye, but I walked right by them. I did notice they were looking at me. So I get maybe 10 yards past them, going down the sidewalk, busy, lots of people out. I feel some arms come around me from behind. And I know a lot of people in that area, so I thought it was a friend joking. So I kind of said, all right, who is it, whatever. And then I felt the hand go from my wallet in my back pocket. Now, I'm going to show you a picture. Um... This is after the event. You notice that there's me in the middle of my tan pants and a bunch of NYPD around me. And about 10 minutes later, there were twice that many there. So here's what ensued. That's the corner kind of where it happened. So uh, these guys, um, one of the guys had grabbed me and tried to get my wallet. And so what I did was I pivoted in a, against a building and I crouched down. And he's trying to get my wallet. And now he's a young guy. I'm an old guy. And he was frustrated. And he actually was saying to me, just give me your wallet. And it's going to be okay. Just give me your wallet. And I'm thinking, you're not getting my wallet. So I'm pinned down, pressed against the wall, all my weight against the wall, and he can't get the wallet out of my back pocket. And he's frustrated. And so his other two buddies decided to jump in. So now I'm outnumbered three to one, and, and they start pounding on me. Now, when I told this story to my wife, she wanted to kill me. She said, why didn't you just give me your wallet? And I said, it wasn't, I wasn't thinking through this. I was just defending myself. So I pivoted against the wall. Three guys are pounding on me. There's people walking by, by the way. And I have to tell you this. I said the dumbest thing anyone has ever said while being mugged. And you're not sure that's true until you hear what I said. And you're going to agree with me, Craig. That is the dumbest thing anyone has ever said in the history of mankind while they're being mugged. So picture this. Little me, three guys, probably in their early 20s, beating on me. And I still got my wallet pinned right here. And I actually said this. I said... I almost can't say it. I said, you guys are in so much trouble. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. You know what I'm surprised at? I'm surprised when I said that they didn't stop looking at each other and fall down laughing. Like, who's in trouble here, right? For some reason, I thought they were going to get in trouble because they're robbing me. You don't rob me. So right at that moment, after I said that, uh, a, a young guy on a skateboard stopped and said, what's going on here? And then a, a business guy, Wall Street guy, looked like, stopped as well, and they scattered. And then I stood up, and um, I got a couple pictures. The one's kind of gross, sorry. That, that was my hand as it was getting rubbed against the wall. And then the next picture is the next day, one of the bruises, the, one of the bruises I can actually show you <laughs> on my arm. Um, and so it was a pretty scary experience, although my first reaction was not that. I was like, man, I survived this. I got mugged in New York City. Man, I'm pretty tough. And, and I went back to the staff and said, it, three guys couldn't take me down. So you guys look out. I'm tougher than I look. I was, you know, just making fun and jokes until the next day. And then kind of a form of PTSD hit me. 
And I was, I was afraid to go out. And suddenly, I was a soldier in a battle. I was vigilant. I was aware. Um, and that was once in 10 years, so maybe I have 10 more years. Nope, two weeks later, coming back from a co-ed softball team that I led, and we played in Central Park, middle of the day on a Saturday, people on the street, taking my bike into my apartment, my backpack's right there. Somebody comes by and grabs my backpack and starts running with it. So having learned my lesson, I ran after the guy. Uh, <laughs> and uh, one of the shop owners, just a little ways down, saw it happen. He stood in front of the guy, and the guy dropped the backpack and kept running. So I've been mugged twice. Craig, two. Muggers, zero. <laughs> now, the, the point of telling that very long story is that it did change my behavior, though. After that, and I would stay still to this day, if I'm on the subway platform waiting for the train, I'm against the back wall because I can see everybody. No one's going to come up behind me. When I'm walking down the, side, the sidewalk, I'm scanning. I'm thinking, I'm watching, I'm being aware. I think I did that the first few years I was there, but I kind of got complacent. So the point is, when it comes to the opposition, the spiritual opposition that we face, Peter is calling to us to vigilance. Girding in the loins of your mind means be aware, be mindful. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be surprised when the temptation comes. You know, whenever the stuff of life that comes at us, that we're actually prepared for it. You know, there's a few names for Satan. Um that really are, they're descriptors of him. And I, I thought this was a hard message to give because I had so much I wanted to say and I, I only had 30 minutes. But um, I just want to give you an insight into how this thief operates. So you'll see three uh, kind of descriptive uh, words that, that um, are used of Satan in terms of how he actually functions and how he actually operates. So um, he is, a first of all, a schemer. He schemes against us. And a schemer is someone who actually develops a plan it's, not, it's like planned. It's plotted out. And I believe that the enemy who comes against us knows us. He knows our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses. So he schemes. And Paul writes here that, that Satan might not outwit us because we're not unaware of his schemes. And I have to ask myself, is that true of me? Am I unaware? Or am I aware of how he operates? The second one comes from the temptation of Jesus. After the, Satan was done tempting him, in Luke we read, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until n opportune time. So Satan is an opportunist, meaning, you know, you're having a bad day already, you know, you ran out of gas, you got a bill you weren't expecting, someone in the office quit, and you got this hole you have to fill, just things are adding up, and suddenly your resistance, your battle readiness is going down. And then this last one, I want to spend a little bit more time on this one, he's also called a hunter. Um, well, not exactly, but you'll see when you look at this verse why he chose that word. He's, um, he's talking, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he says that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So what is a snare? A snare is a term for if you're a hunter or if you're a fisherman, um, it's bait, basically. And what is bait? Bait is something bad in disguise, right? So take fishing, for example. I've never been a very good fisherman. My in-laws have lived on the St. Clair River just south of Port Huron for years, and it's great fishing there. It's one of the greatest spots in the world, but I didn't know how to fish in a deep, in, in depth with a swift current, so I never had any success until the summer. I was there for a few months, and my next-door neighbor there, their next-door neighbor is a great fisherman, so he gave me lessons, and I want to show you one of the fish I caught this year. He's holding it for me. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I, okay, now, I'm gonna, now you're gonna, I'm going to feel really bad because I lied. I didn't catch that. He caught it. 
<laughs> we both had our poles out. He gets the bells ring. He comes over. I went over to get the net to help him pull that big fish out, and he's holding it like this. That same day, here's the fish I caught. Okay. I, my goal in life is to, is to catch a fish that I have to use two hands to hold. Now, that was a nice little walleye, and it made a good uh, snack for dinner. But um, how did we catch these? Think about it. It's kind of mean when you think about it. We took something that looked like food that they would be drawn to, and then we put hooks in it. So they grabbed it, and now they're caught. That's the terminology that Paul is using in this passage, the snare of the devil. So his favorite thing to do is make something look good and right and feel right in the moment, and we go after it, and then we find it's not what we thought. So these are all ways to, be, to gird up the loins of our mind for action, right? To be mentally prepared for this and not be caught off guard by it. He knows our weakness. He knows our vulnerabilities. He uses bait to get us. So first two words, gird yourself. Second two words, arm yourself. Arm yourself like a soldier. There's a passage that probably many of you have heard before about the armor of God. We're not going to really be able to spend much time with this, but I'd like you to just hear and see the words from Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's his strength. It's his power. We have nothing to fear. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But those words are not given to scare us. Here's what he says. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground in having done everything to stand. Now, you might notice that three times in this passage, he uses the word stand. And again, it's talking about a soldier, a battle stance. It's like this. You know, if I stand like this and you come and push me, I'm over. But if I stand like this, it's going to take more to knock me down. So it's being prepared for battle, and putting on your armor. And so I like to think that, and, and, and by the way, it's not our armor, it's the armor of God. And if you look at some of the things mentioned, it's the breastplate of righteousness is given us in the, in the passage that follows. He breaks it down. It's the shield of faith. It, he gives us a description in, in a metaphor of what the armor is that we put on. So back to girding the loins of your mind for action. When we connect with God every day in a consistent way, he not only gets us mentally prepared, he arms us. He gives us the armor. I, I like to think these days, when I go to have my quiet time, most days it's in the morning, not always, because some mornings I have to get up too early. But when I do that, I like to think that, that, that God is there waiting for me. And when I sit down, he says, okay, let's get your armor on now. Because you're going to go out into the world and you're going to face opposition. So let's get the breastplate of righteousness on. And let's get the shield of faith you know, it's when we, when we read scripture, when we meditate or memorize on it, when we, when, we, when we pray, when we write out our thoughts in our journal to God, when we do all of that, he's arming us, he's equipping us for the battle. It's not just a box we check. It's actually our commander-in-chief saying, you can do this. I'm going to arm you. I'm going to send you out in the world. You don't have to be afraid of the opposition because you can defeat the opposition in my strength and my power. You can stand firm. And you know, it's interesting because... Um, the scripture, the first thing on spiritual warfare in the New Testament you encounter is in Matthew when Jesus, when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. And then Jesus responds to Peter by saying, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but, but my father who is in heaven. And he said, you're basically on this confession, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell 
will not be able to stand against it. You know what that says? In this battle, we're not cowering in fear, trying to arm ourselves. We're coming at it. We're advancing because gates don't move. Gates are not coming after us. We're coming against the gates fearless because God has equipped us. We're mentally ready and we're battle ready. We have put on the armor of God. That's why the Christian life is not a walk in the park. It's this mindset that says we can do this every day. And there's no reason to fear. In fact, I want to share two uh, passages from, from John, the first letter that John wrote, who was one of the closest followers of Jesus, at least in John's own estimation he was. He kept referring to himself in the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Here's what he wrote. In 1 John 3, he says, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. That doesn't mean thoroughly bad. It just means whenever we intentionally give in to sin, we're, we're, we're playing for the opposition, Right? Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And then this great statement, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. This is not an enemy that is going to win in the end. He's been destroyed already. And then in 1 John 4, he writes, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, that's God's spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world. That's the devil. There's greatness in us. We don't have to fear this. So we live in the kingdom of Jesus under the authority and protection of the king, abiding with him, depending on him, being armed by him, listening to him, getting wisdom from him, getting strength from him, standing firm in him. We don't really have to fear anything. Daily we do this. We can't get entangled in the affairs of a civilian life. This is a mindset and it's a strategy to be successful, preparing for the attack, doesn't happen when the attack comes. It's everything we do before the attack comes. That's just like an athlete. They don't show up and run the race quickly if they didn't show up every day and train for it. So all of this is about leaning into God, receiving from him, being trained and equipped by him so that we don't have to fear the battle. Uh, the first book I read by Irma McManus, which I think was his first book, was called The Barbarian Way. I still recommend it. Um, there's a chapter in this book where he talks about his relationship with one of his sons, and his son one night said, as he was tucking him into bed, he said, Daddy, will you pray that God will keep me safe? And Erwin said, Son, I'm not going to pray that for you. I'm not going to pray that God will keep you safe. I'm going to pray that God will make you dangerous. And that, that was, I probably read that 20 years ago, and that has just stuck with me. That we don't have to live in fear that we're going to lose this battle. We can live in confidence, and we can take the battle to the world. We can take the battle to the enemy because we are, we belong to God. We are his. He loves us deeply and he gives us everything we need to be successful. We can resist the schemer, the opportunist, the hunter. It's interesting, Peter used imagery of Satan. I remember hearing this as a kid and it was terrifying. hope I don't terrify anybody today. But he said that, that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Well, if you, you know, if I told you at the end of the service after we worship a little bit and I say goodbye to say, listen, as you leave, leave carefully because we found out there's a lion loose in the building. He's hungry. I know how you'd leave. You'd leave in groups together. See, find your people, right? You would leave, wouldn't you be hypervigilant? Like you wouldn't just be going out to see if there's coffee out there yet or not. You'd be like, 
looking around. You, we'd be helping each other. I mean, this is the seriousness of it. It's not something to fear unless we're not serious about it. And then we're vulnerable. We're exposed. So I'm going to leave you with three questions again this week um, to ask yourself. The first one is, how are you going to gird the loins of your mind for action this week? I like that King James. Gird the loins of your mind for action this week so that, like I am in New York City now, I'm mindful of the threat. I'm aware. Second question, what will you do to arm yourself daily? Let God put the armor on you. Make yourself available to him for that. And then the third question, what will you do to become a dangerous woman or man in this battle? Because we should be a danger to the enemy. We're the, his greatest threat. I want us to be dangerous. And so, God, I, I give this to you because this is your work. I pray that hearts are open now to receive encouragement from your word, from you. I pray that this will be a week of victory, that even after maybe a lot of failure this last week, where we, we were unaware, where we did get baited, that there would be a different sense about us, a different confidence in you, a different dependency on you. Um, every day as we go to our jobs or our schools or whatever we do this week, that we would be mindful, not in a spirit of fear at all, but mindful that there is opposition here and we're ready for it. God, we pray that you will make us ready for it. In your name, amen. Every war.
turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Hey, you take what the enemy
Man, I, I hope those words um, just ring in our ears throughout the week that, that we're going to see a victory and that the battle belongs to the Lord. And you know the lyrics of the song, I, that last song I really liked was, I may feel I'm surrounded, but I am. I'm surrounded by the Lord. Like what a beautiful image of that, that there's a circle of protection around us if we walk with him. So that's my prayer for each of you as we go into our week, into the unknown, not knowing what's coming, that we live with our minds girded for action and armed uh, for the week that's ahead. Um, don't forget as you leave, uh, if you haven't done yet, to sign up to help out with the Warming Center. And then I just want to tell you, I'm, I'm so excited for next Sunday because yesterday I had the joy of baptizing 17 people from Clinton Township in a pool. It was an amazing experience yesterday. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And you know what? Um, that, that's just, that's victory right there, right? That's saying to the enemy, no, we don't, we don't belong to you. We belong to Jesus, right? So next Sunday, we're going to show on the screen video of this beautiful experience. Um, all campuses, I believe, had baptisms, had people baptized. And we're going to celebrate that together. And then we have one of our own here who we're going to hear a little bit of her story in the journey that she's been on. I think we'll all be encouraged by this. So come back next week. If you're watching online, make sure you tune in. I think it's going to really warm your heart and encourage you. So, hey, God bless. Uh, have a great day. I said it. Warming center, warming center. Aaron's saying warming center, warming center, warming center. So I'm going to keep saying it. As you leave, I'm going to keep saying it. G goodbye. Warming center, warming center. <laughs> you've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.